welcome to The Next Level, a podcast from the Team Performance Institute. Here we provide actionable insights on modern leadership and team development, driving higher levels of organizational performance and life empowerment. I'm your host, John Sanchez. Join me and my team as we take you on the journey to the next level. All right, hello and welcome to the next level. I am honored to have with us today NFL Pro Football Hall of Famer, the one and only Anthony Munoz, offensive tackle for 13 seasons and undisputed, um, undisputed greatest of all time on the offensive line. He's a nine-time All-Pro and named to the 1980s All-Decade team. Cincinnati Bengal Hall of Famer, Anthony Munoz. Anthony, so, so excited to have you with us today. Thanks for being here. John, thanks for uh, having me. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it'll be fun. Well, I, you know, everybody knows a lot, a lot about your fame, a lot about, you know, what you stand for as a player, what you've, you know, what you did and what you continue to do. I'd like to start at a total different angle. Can you tell, I mean, because I, I know a big part of your success is, is your incredible wife, Dee Dee who has uh, been with you, you know, 40 plus years uh, throughout this journey. Can you just talk to us a little bit about that relationship that you have with Didi? Yeah, um, I love talking about Didi. Uh, we just celebrated 42 years, got married my sophomore year at USC, University of Southern California during school and playing ball there. Uh, we actually had met each other probably about three, three and a half years prior to that uh, in a co-ed softball game. And uh, she was a pretty good baseball player. So uh, now fast forward, I go to college. I come home after my freshman year and I go back to the park in my hometown of Ontario, California. And there's some, some softball games going on. And uh, one of the softball games was a women's softball game and Dee Dee was playing. So I went over and, you know, kind of watched a little bit. We got to chatting afterwards. And uh, this was, uh, like I said, the summer after my, freshman year in college the chat went to dating uh that summer to uh from june to december when i asked her to marry me and then that next fall getting married so it was a it was a quick uh dating period we got married and i and i joke with her i said you know i was really a talent scout i was going to check out the talent and my eyes went right to third base uh, woman that was you but uh yeah so like i said uh, sophomore year in college we got married uh 42 years, two and a half years of school there, married, and of course, uh, the 13 years in the NFL, now, uh, you know, the 27 plus years I've been retired, but she's an amazing lady. Uh, you know, I, I always use a lot of athletic uh, uh, analogies, and, and one of them that uh, I use is that I outkick my coverage when I married Dee. <laughs> she she's just a phenomenal lady, uh, uh, you know, and just, uh, we, we just have a, a great time, uh, on our journey and uh, we, we talk about it we wake up in the morning and we just kind of thank god for each other and that we are able to go through this journey together so it, you guys serve as such a wonderful example and she's one of the sweetest people in the world like just a sweet and open heart uh just a great example to uh you know you know my wife anya and i we, i always say she's a like uh, i use my I'm more military now just she's the best swim, swim buddy i've ever had right <laughs> and the swim buddy is somebody in the teams that will save your life over time and i think she's right. saved saved mine a few times but boy Didi has just been such a great great example of a great you know a great woman and a great partner and it's just fun to watch you guys and your partnership work together but it all starts, like, I guess, uh, on a softball field or, or maybe a baseball field. Yeah. Can you take us back? Let's go back to Anthony yeah. 
the boy, right? It started a lot. Your sports actually start, didn't start on the football field. It started on a baseball diamond. Yeah, it did. It did. Um, tell us a little bit about growing up in Southern California and uh, you know, some of the influences on your life there. Yeah, I love talking about, uh, you know, really, I, I look at it as the journey. So many people want to talk about the body of work as an as a NFL football player, but I really believe it's the journey that makes uh, the person. And I love talking about the journey when it started in Southern California, in Ontario, California, as a young boy, my mom raised five kids by herself. I have two older brothers and two younger sisters. Uh, I tell people that's a tough enough job, raising five kids by yourself. But when I'm one of those five, it makes it even tougher. But uh, <laughs> yeah, and at a very young age, I, my lifetime, my childhood dream was to be a professional baseball player. I started playing baseball like at the age of six and seven, you know, with two older brothers that were heavily involved in baseball. I was right there with them. I wanted to be a major league baseball player. And at a young age, I didn't totally comprehend what that would consist of, but I thought maybe if I make it in the major leagues, I can buy my mom a house because our, you know, there were six people in a house, one bathroom, two bedrooms, and it wasn't very big. It wasn't a great house. It was pretty small. Uh, so I started playing baseball and uh, things started to go pretty well because I was pretty good uh, at a young age and competing with two of the brothers that helped me out. Uh, and I'll never forget uh, growing up in the environment I did. You know, my grandparents, great-grandparents were from Mexico. My mom was born in Southern California. I was second generation. But at that time, it was so diverse. You know, here I am with the Hispanic background. My two best buddies that we would jump on our bike and want to play all-day baseball in the summer, one was African-American, the other was Caucasian. And we were just teammates, man. We learned about each other. They would come over to my house. I think they wanted to come over to my house more often than we went to the other two because of my mom's homemade flour tortillas, you know, <laughs> she would make stacks and they would love that. But uh, yeah, so baseball was it, man. I, I, I played third base as a young kid uh, and I grew up uh, playing third base, uh, you know, really with that vision of going on and playing in the major leagues. But you're right. It did start on the baseball field, played a little bit of sandlot football, nothing organized until I, I got into like maybe fourth, fifth grade, I played flag football. But uh, I was a third baseman. I wanted to be like Brooks Robinson of the Baltimore Orioles. I pitched. I wanted to be like Juan Marichal who pitched for the Giants. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I always wanted my name on a baseball bat and I wanted to use a glove with my name inside because that would have said, hey, you're a major league baseball player. Just, just think of it. You, you could have been somebody. You could have been somebody in professional sports. I mean, I can't believe it. somebody somewhere in the uh, in the baseball hall of fame is kicking themselves that they didn't recruit you in. But I think it's a really good point around diversity. You know, growing up in Southern California, being able to play, and you know, sports really bring people together. It's common mission. You know, common goal. Then there's got to be some leadership in your world and there's a great guy that you know kind of made his way onto your field and you know as we head towards father's day think yeah. about this guy jim seaman who was a coach to you and, and became a bit of a you know father figure, taught you some of the the foundational aspects of your journey Can you talk to us a little bit about what jim brought to your life maybe some of the characteristics that he helped you develop right. as a young child yeah jim is you know i talked about starting baseball at a young age I actually met jim seaman at the age of seven uh, he had just gotten a new job as uh, head of parks and recreation in Ontario, California. Of course, it's summer. We would meet him at seven in the morning. My buddies who I talked about, we'd open up the shed, throw out the bases, and it's time to play baseball. And uh, quickly realized that for gentlemen or men or young guys like myself that grew up without a dad, never knew my dad. My dad was in and out of prison. He's a passed away, so I never even met him. And other guys that were playing baseball that didn't have a father, 
Jim became that father role model, teaching us how to, you know, work ethic, how not to cut corners, how to do things with character and integrity, to be truthful and honest. And if you stepped outside of boundaries, rules that were there, that you were going to pay the consequences. Uh, you know, for me not to be able to play in a baseball game because of something I did against the rules he had, there was no way. I mean, that was taking away something that I love to do. So, you know, he, he taught us that. And the great thing about it, we met Jim Seaman at the age of seven, and all of a sudden I knew that not only was he the heads of, head of park and recreation, but he was now the head varsity baseball coach at the high school that I would attend. So I'm thinking, man, I got several years to, to prove that I can play for him on the varsity level. And sure enough, I did, uh, you know, fast forward to my, you know, high school years. I started at third base for him for three years on the varsity team. So that, that mentorship with us as young men, myself and others, uh, you know, really continued on the high school level. And, and we saw really that he had an excellent baseball mind, but he also knew exactly what he wanted and needed from his players. And he had the rules set in place. And like I said, you were going to pay the consequences if you stepped outside of those boundaries. So he taught me responsibility, work ethic, you know, being honest and truthful. So uh, a lot of characteristics that he taught us, character traits, you know, through our high school, uh, you know, did I do everything right in high school? No. In college? No. But, you know, you think back to your mom, who was really the boss, raising <laughs> five kids, and then Jim, who stepped in, and you think about the things they, they teach you, and you, okay, you're going to step out of line? Maybe not because of uh, you have my mom <laughs> there and then Jim. So, yeah, Jim has been an amazing guy. We now have a 55-year relationship. Uh, and as you know, we bring him out to our uh, foundation dinner, and we have an award named after him that we give to, to someone here locally in Cincinnati that impacts young people the way he has. Yeah, that's one of the greatest awards to watch that given out every year at the foundation dinner and to somebody who's so worthy of it. And it's just all about service. And it's all about being that father figure, talking about those values that really help make. And one of the things you said that, it, that stuck out to me is like, look, you know, you didn't do it all right in high school. You didn't do it all right in college. We had, at the Team Performance Institute have this, uh, we have a, a rules of engagement. And one of our rules of engagement is embracing failure, seeing failure as an opportunity yeah. to grow, see failure as your, your opportunity. And you know, Jim let you fail and then held you accountable to it. Yep. And, you know, that's, that's part of, uh, that's part of growing in youth sports. Right. And that's something that I think, um, you know, just from, from an outside perspective, probably something you, that you really utilize at USC when you well, got you know, there. To your point, you know, when I'm, I'm speaking to young people or old people like myself, I say, it's not a matter and you, you know, failure or adversity. It's not a matter if, you're going to go through some failures or if you're going to go through adversity. But I say when you go through adversity, it's how you come out the other end, how you react to them, how you handle yourself. And quite frankly, you know, you mentioned USC. So I'm coming out of high school as a 17 year old senior. Baseball was still there, but football had become my sport. You know, now it's 6'6", close to 300 pounds. That baseball <laughs> uniform didn't fit as well as the football uniform. <laughs> but uh, so I had a chance to really go to school and play football just about anywhere in the, in the country. And, uh, and I, growing up 40 miles from the USC campus, you know, back when I was coming out of high school in the 70s, USC was winning national championships, winning Rose Bowls. They were, uh, you know, they had Heisman Trophy winners, all Americans, and they were having all these guys draft in the NFL. And I wanted some of that. I wanted to be one of those guys. So I decided to go to school and play football at USC. They gave me a scholarship. So I went there with all these plans of doing that. Well, 
my plans didn't necessarily work out because in the four years at USC, I had three knee operations. Mm. And now you have to understand, four years of high school, I played football, basketball, and baseball for all four years. And I don't remember missing a game because of an injury. I would go from football to basketball to baseball every year and go from – if I had a football game Friday night and that was the last game, the next day I put on the basketball uniform. So I didn't really experience any adversity in, as far as injuries. Well, I get to USC, freshman year, seven games in the season, first knee operation. Sophomore year, I play the whole year healthy. Junior year, seven games into the, into the season, second knee operation, second one on the right knee. So I'm going into my senior year, my last hurrah, and probably in the best shape I've been in because of all the rehabilitation and weight, uh, weight training and running. And it wasn't seven weeks into the season. It was the second time we had the football, the first game of the season. Mm. I go down with my third knee operation, this time on my, my first one on my left. So I missed the entire season. So now it's a matter of how am I going to react to this adversity that I've now for my third year, I have to go to school. I have to study. I've now been married for a couple of years. And then I have to rehab because I knew we would win that year. And we had played. And one of the things I talked about is USC was winning Rose Bowls. We had played in two and I hadn't played in one yet because of oh. injury. I knew we would win that senior year and I was bound and determined to play in that game. And uh, I was like a madman. I, my skill, I'd go to class, go to rehab, go back to the apartment. I'd do homework. And then I'd shed a few tears on Didi's shoulders. I mean, it was tough, but I was determined. And because of the mentors I had in my life, my mom teaching us work ethic and responsibility and Jim teaching us how, what it meant to work. I actually got back and I got ready and I played in that role. We did. We won the Pac-10 back then. We went to our third Rose Bowl. And I played in the Rose Bowl. In fact, I played in the entire game, the only game I played my senior year. And it really, through that adversity, it taught me a lot about myself and about other people. It taught me that I could push myself well beyond where I thought I could push myself, not only physically, but mentally. You know, when times were tough to just, you know, people use the word being tough. I use it as being mentally disciplined. I could push myself and working out physically, mentally, and then you know, also that, you know, just taking yourself beyond where you think you can. And that really helped me to, to get ready for that game. And the crazy thing about it, I think I maybe played half the games in college is that was probably the best game I've played in four years after missing the entire season. And uh, so, yeah, so the adversity, and like I tell people, I wouldn't trade growing up the way I did with, you know, we never had a car. I didn't talk about financially, didn't have a whole lot. We didn't have a car. You know, we might have one set of clothes to start the school year, and we might get a second, you know, sometime during the school year, but usually not. Uh, so we didn't have a whole lot. So the circumstances of going through that, I wouldn't trade for anything because it taught me appreciation to be thankful for what you get. And then the adversity, you know, who I became going through that adversity and, you know, having Didi with me and my faith, it just, uh, you know, really, it, it really solidified that work ethic. That you know, nothing's going to be given to you. You got You can't cut corners. You got to work extremely hard. And then, of course, the rest is history. Not knowing if I would even get a chance to put an NFL uniform on. You know, before that senior year, I was projected as a top five pick in the draft. After that third knee operation, they said well, you might be a free agent. Probably won't even get a chance because of so many injuries. Well. All it took was one team and the Bengals with not only gave me a chance to go to an NFL camp, but with the third pick in the entire draft, 
chose me as a first rounder, third pick, <laughs> and gave me a chance not only go to one camp, but I ended up going to 13 camps with the Bengals. So, uh, like I said, I wouldn't trade that adversity and what it taught me in those four years at USC for anything. Yeah, it is. It is just. Oh my! It's, it's, it blows everybody's mind what you're able to do. The the the, the shift from USC in, into the into playing in Bengals camps. But I can't. You know, as, as you describe it, it just hits me so hard to think about a young kid growing up in in really a, a really difficult way, not having much money, not having much, and always looking up to these Trojans like you know down the down the road from you, yeah. and wanting to play. And then, you know, like you said, you didn't miss a game in high school. It must have been mentally devastating to be on the sidelines it was yeah tell us a little bit about how you got back up during that time well you know the great thing about it is you know I always chuckle when when someone describes someone as a self-made person you know this this guy is self-made or this lady self-made and then they're being honored they win a uh, they get an award and so they get up to the podium and what are the, the first thing they do they don't thank themselves they thank this whole group of support people that helped them. I'm thinking, okay, they just said he was self-made, but he's got all these people, or she's got all these people that have helped them. And that's really where it takes me is the support group that I had, the medical group, the training group, the strength training group, uh, friends, my teammates. I mean, they knew even though they weren't going through it, they didn't isolate me. You isolate your, yourself enough when you're injured and you're not able to prepare for a game or playing a game. They really included me as one of the guys, and, and I would, and I made it a point to stay right there with them, even though I wasn't on the field. I'd be there pregame and tape, help tape them up and whatever. I'd be on the sideline rooting them on, and I'd be working out with them as much as I could, you know, going through that knee. So the support group was amazing. Then having Didi as a wife was also amazing. You know, she was one. You know, she couldn't understand going through rehab, but she supported me, uh, and of course. Our faith journey, you know, my faith started uh, my sophomore year in college. You know, little did I know that uh, it would be really, really big my last two years and even bigger now. But, you know, uh, my faith in God and Christ started as a sophomore. So believing that it might not be football that it was going to work out in after college, but I knew things would work out. I might have to take another direction, but that really encouraged me to just bust my tail in everything I did. And, of course, I did it on, you know, in the weight room and running and physically, then it paid off in the football field. And so, again, I can't speak enough about that support group that you have surrounding you that encourages you. And I'm sure sometimes when they're supporting you and encouraging you, they see that maybe it might not work out, but let's just go ahead and keep encouraging them because it will work out somewhere else. But uh, I'm just very thankful for, for those individuals that were around me that uh, helped me mentally because yeah, mentally it was tough, but man, I tell you, I was determined when, uh, when they would say, Hey, hang in there, keep working. I'd go and work uh, that much harder. Yeah. That carried, that carried forward. If you think about, you know, we start, we first start talking about the journey. This has been a long journey. This is a 61 year journey of excellence here. And it's, it's fantastic. Those times of adversity, those were the building blocks, right? Yeah. If you could go back to USC, if you put on a Trojan Jersey again, you'd be like, if you could tell yourself, hey, this is going to serve me, right? Yeah. And we're all going through crazy times right now in the country. Everybody's going yeah. through some difficulty. Everybody globally is, and you know, it's just a, it's a, it's a phenomenal time in history. Right. But right now, these, are, these can be, with the right mentality, with the Hall of Fame mentality, it's like, is that belief, that faith, 
teaming up right now, more important than anything, choose your team, choose the people around you to team up, build those relationships. But with you, it was, you know, with the right staff and the crew and the rehab crew and, and your, your beautiful wife and faith in God. And you, you just teamed up in a downtime. Now in, at USC, you played 16 games and then you come into 13 pro, you know, pro games and you missed, I think, I think the stats are you missed two or three games in 13 yeah. years. Like, think yeah. about that difference. Yeah. Um, you know, four crazy. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting you talk about coming together. And, you know, I don't like using military terms for football. I mean, because of the respect I have you as a former military and someone that went through that. Really, I got to admit, I gotta, there is one military analogy I use, and that was with Didi and I, raising two kids. I said, Didi. When in raising these kids, we always used to talk about being in the same foxhole together. Back to back, we can't let them play one against the other. We got to be back to back in the same foxhole and we got to be in this thing together. But the one analogy along with what you're talking about, I think part of a football, a football game is the huddle. The Pro Football Hall of Fame has a great video they call the huddle and it talks about, and it's an analogy, uh, a metaphor for society for football and for exactly what you're talking about because in a huddle in a football game, you have 11 guys that, and we're all different. We might be different race, religion, thoughts. I mean, I talk about just our offensive line for a lot of years. I was from East LA, Mexican descent. We had a left guard who was a hog farmer from Iowa, about 6'7", 315. Our center was a Polish guy from Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania the smartest guy I've ever known. In fact, he's coaching high school now and teaching calculus in high school. Our right guard was another Hispanic from East LA. And then our right tackle was a big six foot seven, 315 pound Texan from uh, Lubbock, Texas. So think about the diversity just in that offensive line of jumping into a huddle and having to work together, regardless of what you believe your faith is, your, you know, your background, your culture, but you're working together as a team and you have to come together and execute. And, and that's the same analogy or metaphor for the community. I mean, and you can think about the community you live in and the diversity you have. And especially in these times, how we have to come together and love each other and work together. Uh, you know, so the things that football taught me and coming from a pretty diverse background to begin with, and even more so playing, you know, 20 plus years of football, I mean, it's just amazing of what the sport does, or even with yourself, with your brotherhood, you know, in the military, that's what it's all about, man. We've got to come together and regardless, we might not look the same, you know, skin color, size, but it's, a, it's about being a team and coming together and working together uh, to unify and to make it a better place to live. Are you saying that we're not the same size, Anthony? Because on these screens... We're pretty much the same skin color, but we're not the same <laughs> size. <laughs> oh, I love hanging out with you. It is so fun. Never feel safer than when you're hanging out with Anthony Moose. I, like I think it's vice versa. I think I feel safe hanging out with you. <laughs> but you say you don't want to use the metaphor or the analogy. It's like the military. But I think all of my military, my SEAL team brothers would say, you know what? That is so true about the huddle. It is so yeah. true about what you said with with your wife like you know, this the sense of unified front or yeah. back to back we you know with each other that strength that bond right uh with each other is what's going to give everybody else stability and that exactly. strength in the huddle is what gives you guys stability when you have to break out from that huddle in the military in the seal teams we'd have a uh, 
we're out in the field, we'd have this thing called a tight 360. It was our version of a huddle where everybody collapses quickly in on each other. Right. Unfortunately, we're facing out because the bad guys are facing out. <laughs> but, so we don't get to face in, but um, you put your officer in the center of right. the tight 360 and right next to him is your radio man, which is the communicator, yeah. right? Oh. Who's gonna be able to communicate. So it's very just, you know, it's the same type of, uh, same type of an idea that we, uh, you know, just we as humans, are we on great teams, um, pull together, you know, bring it, bring it together consistently. You know, it's funny you mentioned that pulling together. I heard this certain football coach took over at a university and one of his first practices, in fact, I heard this, it was Pete Carroll when he took over at USC. He took the entire football team and they'd been struggling when he, before he got there. He took them to the Coliseum and I guess it was like midnight. He had the offense on one side, the defense on the other side, and he brought out this big old rope. Okay, guys, it's, it's time to – we're going to tug of war here. We're going to have a tug of war. So, you know, you, can you imagine if we did that with you guys? I mean, the, you know, the testosterone, the adrenaline, <laughs> who's going to be – you know, do the, the Navy and the Army, you know? Oh, yeah. And so he had this rope. He had the offense on one side, the defense. He's sitting in the middle. He blows the whistle, man, and they just start pulling. And there's no movement. And he didn't last very long. He, he blew the whistle. He goes, okay, that's it. He goes, take the rope away. He said, guys, that's the last time we're going to be pulling against each other. He said, now we, to your point, now we're coming together and we're going to pull for each other. Offense, defense, special team. And I thought about that. I said, man, what a great thing to do to your football team. You know, you're sitting there pulling against each other. Now get rid of the rope. Now we're going to pull for each other. That is great. It's, it reminds me of something that you said. Uh, we were we were hanging out, and you talked about what it was like when you were playing with the Bengals, and you had different coaches, right? So you have your offense, defense, you have your special teams, you have your own O line coach, everything. But you also had a head coach, and you always had to come together. Talk to us a little bit about what it's like to be on a team within a broader team, and then how do you, you know, how do you bring it together for game day? What was that like? Well, the cool thing about it is, I, my first head coach was Forrest Gregg. Hall of Fame offensive tackle, Vince Lombardi with the great Green Bay Packers teams, called him the finest player he had ever coached. And think about the guys he coached, Bart Starr, Paul Horning, Braden Nitschke. I mean, go on and on. So Forrest had his – so I look at it as the head coach having his plan. He had his strategy that he made sure that the whole team bought into. I mean, he was a disciplinarian. We had rules. We had – you know, we knew our workout schedule. And then all of a sudden you have all these assistant coaches. You have the line coach, offense, defense, linebacker, running back. So now they have to bring in their plan that coordinates with the major plan. We have to buy in not only to the head coach's plan, but now we have to buy into the plan of the assistant coach that's really developing us. The head coach is developing the entire program, but now you got your assistant coach that's developing me as an offensive lineman. So I'm with him, you know, 90-plus percent of the time because he's getting me ready for – so now, then you got that buy-in. So now you got to get everybody buying in. You got the head coach who hires the assistant coaches. The assistant coach has got to buy into the head coach. We got to buy into the head coach and the assistant coach. I think it's such a beautiful thing because not only do you have the players, the assistant coaches, and the co head coach, but now you have the strength coaches that are meeting with the head coach that have to have the right weight program, the right running program to get us ready to play. You have the trainers and the doctors that are making – so to me, when I, I talk, I talk about people think the quarterback is, you know, the most important. Well, he is. It's the toughest, the most. 
but the trainer's just as important because you got to get guys back off the, you know, the injured list. The equipment manager's got to get the right equipment. The ticket guy's got to make sure, you know, your family's set up with tickets and the stadium's full. So to have that work together, it's amazing. And I was, and I saw through not only Paul Brown, who is the owner, a great leader because he had his plan as an owner, but then you had Forrest Gregg as a head coach and I had Sam Weish as a head coach. They were also leaders because they, they knew how to, to hold guys accountable. They knew how to encourage guys, but they had a plan on how to get us from the practice field to win games. So, you know, I've learned so much from those guys. And then the assistant coach who was like, okay, I know I'm not a head coach. I'm an assistant coach. So I can't try to do what the head coach does. I'm the assistant. So I know my role. My role is to get you ready. So, you know, I can keep my job because the head coach is going to see I'm developing guys. So it's just a, it's just a great machine that's at work. And I learned so much from the guys. I was not only owner, head coach, assistant coaches from teammates too, how they handled themselves, how they led. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I was really fortunate to, to really learn and be around some amazing leaders. Yeah, well, I think you were one of the you were one of the number one leaders on the teams that you got to be a part of, having you know had the experience of listening to and talking to some of the players that you got to play with. I love what you said though around strategy, like those. So the head coach had his strategy, and then and then as you talked about it, it actually compounded in your voice, like everybody was buying in. It was like this enterprise. It was it was like this growth of a mountain. Everybody buys into that strategy. Everybody buys into your independent team strategy and it all just compounds. And then everybody understands their role. Everybody knows their role on the team and they're going to give 150% into that role. There's role, you know, we call it role clarity. You know, everybody really fully understands their role in your role. Let's talk just a little bit about it because it's just so foundational. Whenever you're considered the greatest of all time, and I know you're just a man of great humility. So I know that, you know, I know that's hard for sometimes for you to hear, but like the greatest of all time, it was said that you devastated, you know, you devastated people out there. Like you just, you would give it to it 80 times in a game, just be crushing and pushing people back. You know, what did it take? What was behind the scenes? Well, what are some of the things in those 13 seasons that you look back on that helped you get to that point where you could stand on that field and bring the amount of power that you did? Well, so for, I just want to, first of all, I just want to make a point about leadership. You know, I, as someone that played with somebody, coached players, I think we can uh, make valid those that led us. I'm not about to say I was a leader, and it's good to hear that you talked to some guys that considered me a leader because I don't think we, we should be self-appointed leader. I think your teammates, those that you lead, your company, you can be a good leader or bad leader. So, you know, hopefully when it's all said and done, but I think the thing that really pushed me is when I first got drafted, the appreciation of just getting an opportunity. So here I'm a number one pick. I'm coming in. Everybody's expecting you to play. I, I took every year. So when I came into camp, I felt it didn't matter. I was the third guy picked in the draft. I had to earn my job. So that meant weight training, running, studying. So every year after that, I worked like I had to come in and earn that job all over again. My work ethic, I didn't put it in cruise control. I lifted that much harder. I, I mean, I pushed myself that much harder running. I added more sprints and more distance. So, so what happens is a 21-year-old, 22-year-old, they're like, okay, high round pick, you're a young guy, but then, so you gotta earn your stripes to say, but then now you start getting close to 30, 
Now you're considered an old guy. So now you got to work that much harder because there's these young guys kind of nipping at your, your heels. So it was one of those things where I, I tell young men, don't ever be satisfied with what you accomplished. My first year, I was a Pro Bowl alternate. If somebody would have gotten hurt, I would have been a Pro Bowler. I was, you know, I got certain all-rookie teams. My second year, I pushed myself. I made the Pro Bowl. I made All-Pro. I was the offensive lineman of the year for the league. I wasn't going to be satisfied there. After that season, we went to the Super Bowl. I went to the Pro Bowl. I got home. I took a day off, and I started running and lifting again because I said, hey, that's behind us now. Now I got to go into my third year. I want to be, I want to start again. I want to be an example. I want to be a positive example for those guys I'm playing with to really impact them in a positive way that they can see that, here, this guy made the Pro Bowl, line of the year, but he's not putting it in cruise control. He's going to work harder than anybody else. And that was my whole philosophy. I was going to be in such great shape in the offseason that, and again, true or false, I don't know, but I believe that if we were in the fourth quarter and we had to drive 80 yards, I was going to be better in better shape than the guy across from me because of the reserve tank I had built in the offseason from all the distance, all the sprints, all the lifting. So that was my whole philosophy, and that was the attitude I had every year, even going into my 13th year at 34, 35 years old. The running I did, man, I busted it, and I'll never forget, Tim Crumry was another guy. I mean, he was like in his 10th, 11th year my last year, and we had a running test at minicamp. And we had like eight and a half minutes to do a mile. Well, if you did any kind of running, even as a 300-pounder, you could make it within eight and a half minutes. You should be able to make a mile. We had all the young offensive, defensive linemen we ran together, and we looked at each other because he used to train for many triathlons in the offseason. And we looked at each other, and we just winked, and I knew exactly what that was. We were not going to take all eight and a half minutes to run the mile. We took off sprinting, and the guys were like, what are you doing? Well, at 34, 35, I had to prove that I was still in shape to play. So, so we busted the two of us. And, you know, for big guys, I think we ran like 640 miles. Of course, all the other <laughs> positions were upset at us because we didn't take the entire time. And now they had – but we just felt that was – Tim and I felt that was important as two older guys on the team to have a positive impact and say, in order to play at the highest level, this is what you have to do, even before the season starts. So that's really the attitude I had when I was playing, and I just wanted to push, 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 and not be satisfied with the previous accomplishments or the previous year. Yeah, it's it's, it's amazing. And it has been said, you know, people dissect your films and everything over the course of 13 seasons. They said he was no different. I'm sure you felt different, but he was no different from from his rookie year till his final season and the amount. Monday morning was a lot different. Uh, the soreness, <laughs> 21 compared to 35. <laughs> took a little longer for the soreness to get used no. well, A little bit more <laughs> stretching, a little bit more recovery, right? Yeah, massage you know, therapist, chiropractor, all the above. <laughs> one of my best friends used to say, um, you know, I, I, would you rather, we'd always have this debate, would you rather fight a 25-year-old you or a 35-year-old you? You know, like who's going to be tougher? It all comes down to getting smarter and harder you know, throughout time. One of the things that, that as you're talking, I thought about this book, um, this author, Sam Walker, wrote The Captain's Class, and he dissects winning teams, excellent teams. He actually dissects them over the course of 100 years, like the best teams. And it wasn't in the coaching, the money. It wasn't in necessarily the all-star players on the team. What he broke down as a single most defining characteristic was that winning streaks, and this is straight from Sam Walker's book, winning streaks were – very closely bracketed by the presence 
of one player. And then he went on to really dissecting that into the common thread was the character of that player. And, um, and having been around, you know, again, some of the players that you play with it, they say it consistently over and over the character of Anthony Munoz, when you came to it, then you just say articulated beautifully in that talk, like, Hey, here we're going. We got our one mile, you know, we got eight and a half minutes. We can, we can, you know, we can loaf this thing at eight and a half and finish, or we can show everybody what this training camp is going to be about. Tell us a little bit about some of that, your character that, that you brought to the, to camp. Well, and that was, you know, when you come from winning programs and you have a lot of those guys, now USC, I lost, I think my first year with the Bengals, I think I lost three or four times more games. Than I did all four years at USC. And, um, but it, it comes from, okay, if, if you're working as hard as you can, guys will see that and they'll become, become contagious because, you know, guys don't want to be out work. Guys don't want to be, well, hey, this guy scored a 98 on his grade. I was at 87. I mean, they don't want to see that, especially when the grades are hanging up on the wall all, all season long and you walk in every day and have to see that. So I, I felt God had given me a chance to play in the NFL after those operations. God had given me the ability to play the game. And, uh, you know, so I'm going to do my part where he says, you know, with whatever you do, do it with all your heart. I mean, I wouldn't go do it half-heartedly. I mean, if I had to run, you know, 15 110s, and I was going to double that. And I always did that in my off-season program. They would give me a running program, and I would do it. Then I would add to it. I would add to it. I would cut the times down. So I just wanted to, to show the guys that this is what you needed to do. Yeah, you're going to get beat occasionally. But if you're in the best shape and as strong as you can be, you're going to cut down those number of times that you get beat. And if you focus and if, if you don't just put your time in, some guys would come. We had started at nine. They would come a couple minutes to nine. And we're going to finish at four. There's some of us that would come maybe at seven, seven thirty. And then after practice, after watching, we might do some extra stuff. Wanted to show guys that you have to put in that extra work. I mean, it's easy to put in, you know, nine to five or whatever they expect you to be there but it's really studying your craft, improving your craft. If you notice that you're making a mistake during practice or a game, get a guy, get a couple guys and stay after practice together and work on it. Uh, so that's what I wanted to do. And that's how I was taught. I mean, at, here's one example of what I was taught at USC. Even before I got to USC, we had a running back. I believe it was Anthony Davis. He started a tradition that every time the USC tailback carried the ball, full pads, Shorts and T-shirts, walk through, full live practice. They were going to carry the ball a minimum of 40 yards. Sprint 40 yards and then however long it took them to throttle down and then jog back. And the guys on defense knew that, so they weren't going to – they were just going to kind of go. And he did that, and I don't know if it's still done because I don't go to the practices, but I know with Charles White and Marcus Allen when I was there, like I said, every time they carried the ball, it was 40-plus yards. I'm not talking – jogging it was a 40 yard sprint so you look at that and practice walking through no pads you make sure that you do everything the way you you can't go full speed contact but you can go full speed with your feet and your hands so that was the whole mental approach that I had is that hopefully in doing that the younger guys the more I played the younger guys would see that and that's how they would train and that's how I was trained that's the culture I was around at USC 
and uh, and it just carried over and that's what I that's that positive example I wanted to be on the football team. Yeah, it's beautiful. You've taken so many positive so many positive things from each part of your past where you know growing up in Southern California not having you know basically not having even the equipment to do what you need to do oh, yeah. things and that positive you know that positive energy from USC you you threw that in uh, you know there's so many nuggets to take out of this is just so incredible Anthony with you know like like you said just earning your job on the team you yeah. felt like even coming back as a you know eight-time pro you know pro bowler yeah that you had to earn it again, right? You had to earn it exactly. again. Yeah. In the SEAL teams, we have an ethos that says, you know, my trident, which is the symbol we get to wear on our chest, is, is a privilege that I must earn every day. Right. Everyday thing. You, yeah. just, you just don't get to get up and put it on. Exactly. Entitlement is such a, a word that we hear a lot. You know, I accomplished this in college, so I'm entitled to, to this in the end. Of, you know, I never saw, of, you know, like you said, we had to earn it, man. Earn your job earn your keep, you know, go to camp, you know, fight your tail off. Don't go to camp and just try to, in the off season, a lot of guys will just, you know, weight train, run, but study and, and work on your, I would do technique because I knew once I got to camp, I didn't want to worry about my conditioning, my strength. I would just work on strategy and maybe some technique that maybe we'd throw in there, but I wanted to be all just strategy working on the plays. And you're right. Don't feel like you, you deserve it. You're entitled to it. You know, just keep busting. I think in every part of life, if you do that, it's going to work out a whole lot better. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Entitlement is the death of like, it's the yeah. death of your progression. Entitlement, when you feel like you deserve it, it's, it's the death of a person. It's the death of a team, really. You know, teams, you've probably seen it where teams roll in thinking, hey, we did great last season. Here we go. We can, you know, we got this. It's the death of a company, you know, when you think like you're just going to win, you're going to win the account and, and you know, I love what you said. There's just, you know, there's no cruise control and you got to get help. If you're, if you're struggling with something, it is absolutely okay to say, Hey, you know, at, at your level, when you're playing, think of all the pro bowls you went to being all the accolades. So, you know, I'm having a little, a little bit of issues around a certain thing. You're going to get some help. You're going to get somebody to bring you in and then help you through it or help, help one of your teammates through it. You're right to that point. I mean, so I think I'd played eight or nine years. And as you watch game, you know that hands are a big part of offense and defensive linemen. And for a big guy, I always had some decent hands. But like my eighth, ninth year, I'm, you know, I'm close to 30 years old. I'm saying, I need some help. So I, I, I really looked for a guy, and I got this, uh, this hand and arm combat guy. He was like 5'10", about 2'10". He could hurt me. But I said, okay, just show me. Don't demonstrate on me. And I worked for him like for three of my – three or four – maybe three of my last three or four years that I was playing – and that's all we did, just working on hands, man. And, you know, I would show them what the D linemen are trying to do because I knew the older you get, you're starting to slow down a little bit. I just – I didn't want that to happen. So I would go to his school. He'd have about three or four black belts. And I'd say, okay, guys, you don't need to hit me, but let's – I just want to see if I can get into your chest and if you – if I can keep you from getting into my chest because that's what we need to do as an offensive lineman. Don't let those guys – and, again, that was a step. You take a step as you're getting older. You – being self-aware is what you're talking. Have some self-awareness. I need to work on this. I need to work on that. I need to step it up here. And, man, I love that. I love those last four or five years, three, four, five years when I was doing that. I couldn't wait till after I lifted and ran to do about an hour of that work and just, you know, the focus and the, the flexibility and the leverage. That was, that was fun for me because I knew it was going to improve, you know, my craft and what I was doing as an offensive lineman. 
Yeah, you're a learner and an achiever, and that's part of it. And most people don't see it. When they get around professional sports, they go to game day and they watch and they can sit back and critique and look at it. But a lot of people don't get to see the amount of work that really goes into it. Like you said, as soon as the season's over, it's like it's off-season time, and that's where I actually get stronger and build. During the season, you're trying to maintain and try not to get hurt. And, and there's all that power to that. It's fun to watch. I like to take people shooting. As you know, we have a shooting range at our place, yeah. and I take people oh, out shooting. And I get to take the great Anthony Munoz out shooting. <laughs> They're trying to trying to be patient with me and kind of show me the finer points of shooting. <laughs> oh my goodness, it was just fun for me because I was like, I you know, I, I walked through a couple like basics and. You're like, yeah, okay. And then just the athleticism that you had just to pick up the weapon and make it, you know, it was as if you had shot a million rounds already to watch that. So that's talent. That's one thing. But the other part of it is the perseverance. So if I said, hey, Anthony, this is going to be your job, then I'd probably wake up at 530 in the morning. You'd already be down at the range, you know, like <laughs> like, like the discipline to, to, yeah. to do that over and over. I want to shift gears for a second yep. and just go into, you know, this journey has been beautiful. But the journey didn't end, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s at the end of your, in fact, I would say that the real richness of your journey, you know, starts, you know, sometimes after that with who you are as a person in the community, uh, your impact, your foundation. Uh, it is, is such an impact for us here in the Midwest. Can you talk to us a little bit about your foundation uh, it, and its impact on the community, you know, a bit about what it does yeah. for the community. Yeah, I mean, that's, I love talking about the foundation. And, uh, you know, I look at it as I, I, I used to be involved in a smaller team, you know, an NFL football team where there's 50, 60 guys. Now I just say, you know, I, I retired from that smaller team and now I'm on a, a bigger team. And that's uh, the team here in the greater Cincinnati area. Uh, you know, it is, uh, you know, we're fortunate to have the Anthony Munoz Foundation going close to 20 years. And we're fortunate to have great staff, great board members like you and Anya, who, you know, have jumped on board and, and we love it. We have, I think, 17 amazing board members. But uh, I just had a passion and a desire to take uh, the platform that we were given. And I didn't start until eight years after I retired. I understand when you're playing, you have the, the leverage, the, 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 the relevance. But I was playing NFL football. I was a husband and I was a father of two. I didn't have enough time. So I got involved with other groups that were up and running. But as soon as our kids got close to finishing college, I wanted to put a team together where we could engage the tri-state area to impact young people mentally, physically, and spiritually through seven programs and really utilize a team to impact young men and women the same way I was impacted as a kid that didn't have a whole lot, but had some dreams, had some talents, had some dreams. And that's what we, we love doing. We started in 2002, the Anthony Munoz Foundation, uh, from mentoring, character camps, scholarships, youth leadership seminars, uh, you know, so things like that, where we come, come alongside and assist financially with programs, with different things, those young men and women that might not have the resources, might not have the finances, might not have the support that other kids might have. And so it's been it's been an amazing journey. You're right. I mean, I, I wouldn't trade playing in the league and that, but these last 20 years with the foundation have just been amazing because I talked about where I was born and raised, the diversity there with my, my buddies, African-American, Caucasian. That's what we're able to do through the foundation. That's what we've been able to do is that it doesn't matter if you're 
African-American or Hispanic or white, we're going to bring you into the Munoz family. And you know that, John, because you're part of the family. We're going to bring you into the family and we're going to give it everything to you, not looking at you. Well, you're not the same as me, so I'm not going to give you as much. We're going to give you everything we have, regardless of what you look like. You might not look like me or us, but we're going to do it. And that's been the fun thing for us through our, you know, our, our, overnight character camps that we can have a diverse group of young men from Northern Kentucky, Cincinnati, Dayton, Middletown, Hamilton, and bring them together. And the same thing with our Hispanic camp, we can bring, you know, some of the Hispanic community with our leadership seminar. We have, you know, 80 to 90 high schools from this area and you look around and they all don't look alike. I mean, it's a great diverse group and, uh, or our scholarships, you know, you, you've been kind enough to be, to sit in on the interviewing process to our scholarship of, fun and, and to see these young men and women come in and they don't look like us a lot of them some of them might others don't but man we see their passion to continue their education their passion to accomplish and their passion to give back and that's what uh, that's what I love about our foundation is that we can come alongside as a team and bring them in as team members and help them out and you know as well as I do we have so many stories now as we have these young men and women that are graduating from college and going into some amazing jobs and and not only have done great in school and now great in their job, but they, they have that mentality. I want to give back. I want to, you know, I want to give back and they're giving back and some are starting their own foundations. And we have one young man that's in Guatemala as a missionary who graduated, you know, with almost a 4.0, could have done anything he wanted in the business world, but he, he was led to go be a missionary. So that, those are the things that we're doing with the foundation. And those are the things that really, I have a couple of small companies and then I have the foundation, but I can honestly tell you that the foundation is what occupies my mind. And how can we raise more money? How can we impact more kids? How can we do this? How can we do that uh, to, to have an impact on, on these young men and women? Because I know it's not me. My name's on it, but we are, we are a team and, and we have a great team, a great diverse team. And again, like I said, I left the a team where I used to get beat up. Now I, you know, I don't have to wake up Monday morning feeling sore. I wake up Monday morning ready to get back in the office feeling good. So, so that's our foundation. And uh, right now at my age, I'm still motivated and still incentivized and, you know, psyched about continuing to do these things. Yeah, you can tell you, you can tell just by your body language, your energy, your voice inflection, everything, that same amount of energy to go to training camp goes into the foundation every day. It is a phenomenal team. You have a phenomenal team there, and the give back is just tremendous. The board is just, I, you know, just great people. You know, you get around, you get around great people, and you just, oh my goodness, can't, you can't help but to become better. I always say, I, I walk out of board meetings about a foot taller, which I'm still shorter than you if I'm a foot taller. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but still, it's just so great to see the the great thing about. I think one of the greatest things about the foundation is the. Um, you have the word eternity kind of in the mission statement. It's an impact for eternity. You're 20 years of this foundation, right? So this is, a, this is a significant amount of time. This is, it's incredible. And it continues to gain momentum and steam and continues to have impact. Like you said, now we're seeing the real benefit and fruit, not only, you know, come off the tree, but then replant. Now we're seeing a little, you know, we're seeing other trees growing based on, based on what you've done. Um, well, it's just, it's just really, really, really fun to, to be around. And I like what you said because I've seen it uh, firsthand in that diversity 
of watching these candidates walk, walk through. That diversity of seeing whether they be kids from great schools or very, you know, very poor schools or from school systems, you know, you open it up into a tri-state region and there are stories inside the wealthiest communities and there are stories inside the poorest communities Right. And there are ways to go in and philanthropically impact, you know, and what, right. I, what I'm saying is to basically partner with these kids to help them see the next level, help them go be that, that Jim Seaman was to you to be a partner and show you core values, show you accountability and then raise them up. Just, just get them to that next level and then let them go, which has been a beautiful thing you've done. Oh, it's been fun. I mean, it's, it's fun. It's great to see these young men and women initiate different initiatives. And like you said, they might not have a lot of resources, but they have tremendous resource up here that allows them to put something together and say, this is how, what we're going to do to get some resources to fund a program. And, and you're like, Aiken High School is one of them. I mean, you know, not a whole lot, Cincinnati Public School, but for them to say, hey, we might not have a lot of financial resources, but we can get it so we can start a school in Sierra Leone. Then the next year, have a 5K walk with the suburban school. Work again, work together, raise 20 grand, put it all towards the school. And you're thinking, man, you know, people say, we're a little worried about our young people, the leadership, future leadership. We're around enough young people that I can say, I'm not worried about our future leadership, man, because some of these young men and women we deal with, you know, through putting together community service projects, or like you said, going to college and graduating 4.0, going to medical school, running a multi-billion dollar marketing company. I think we're in pretty good hands with a lot of young people that I see. I agree. I couldn't agree more. President Reagan said it in an awesome Memorial Day speech. Is you think the nation, you know, there are no heroes. You just don't know where to look. That's right. You can look right into your foundation and you can look right into some of these kids that are showing up just so incentivized to work hard, to be a part, a greater part of America. And I think we, you know, I, I think you're just doing such an incredible thing. And, you know, as a community and as a world, really got to thank you for, oh, for all you've done. It's, it's an honor and a privilege. I'll tell you what, it's a, it's a great privilege to be able to do something like that in this great country and to have the opportunity to just say, okay, let's get a team together and we're going to go out and just, you know, impact young people. So I, you know, appreciate you and Anya and all our other board members. And it, for me, it's like, I thought I was on a pretty good team with Boomer Esiason, James Brooks, Max Montoya, go on and on. But, man, I got, you know, John and Anya. I got uh, Tom and Francie. I got, you know, Mike and Mike and John and Phil. I mean, if I can just go on and Don and Carl, I can just name all the board members. I'm on a pretty good team right now, along with our <laughs> staff. We all love you, as you know, being, being, around, being around you and, and building this out. One question to help close us out today. Yeah. I love asking this question. If you could go back. Take yourself back 20 or 30 years, you know, from your seat now to go back to talk to a younger you, like a younger you. What advice would you give yourself uh, if you could go back 30 years and say, hey, young Anthony, here's old Anthony, you know, knowing what you do now, what would you tell yourself? Well, so 30 years back, I would have been right at the end of my career. Um, I would have probably said, um, Wow. That's a tough one. I, you know, I might've just gotten a little more business experience. You know, um, I kind of dabbled in business. I got a couple companies, but it wasn't until later. I might've just 
gone to local you know business school maybe just and maybe not only that but maybe hooked up with a, a ceo or a president of a company as a mentor just like i did i had a coach that mentored me and caught, taught me not only as a kid but in football i probably done that understanding that retirement was coming soon and i wasn't just going to sit around and not do anything that's probably that might have been one thing uh i would have done is just tried to get a little more business uh knowledge experience before i retired yeah yeah great great advice for those who are coming out especially like military veterans like that transition out of the nfl or the transition out of professional sports or for the military we have you know thousands of young men and women coming out you know go to go well, to the yeah, you figure to that point. So I left college, at, I finished at 21, retired at 35. All my classmates who didn't play in the NFL, or they had 13, 14 years of business experience on us. So now, or military, you go you know, 10 to 20 year military career. All your classmates are probably in business. So now you're sitting there, you retire from the military, you retire from the NFL, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what am I doing now? You know, now I got to start learning at 35 instead of 29, 30, 31. So that's, uh, to your point, I think that's a great analogy there. Yeah. Well, luckily now at 61, when you pull, when you hold a board meeting, you're surrounded by CEOs. You're I know, that's the great thing about it. I tell people I'm not a genius, but I'm smart enough to know I surround myself with smart people and young people. <laughs> that is great. That's one of our rules of engagement for uh, FT Performance Institute is choose your team. You get to choose who you get to be around in this life. Right. Choose wisely. Get rid of members that don't belong on your team if they're doing the wrong behaviors, wrong actions. And this goes to a lot of the youth too as well. But even us as adults, hey, you know, and things, you know, choose your team. Try to be around great people. Well, Anthony, everybody that gets a chance to be around you, I think gets to be a become a better person and i appreciate your guidance your your just your example to us all really thankful to have you here on our podcast with us it's been that such great always being with you you know that and love doing this uh you guys are the best man love you guys all right love you too brother and we're looking forward we're looking forward to doing more hopefully we can get you on again all right help us, help us as, a, as a nation as we continue oh, to love to do it love to do whatever we can all right, brother. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Anthony. All right, Great thanks. Bye. Take care.